0: Earlier this year, we sent out uh, Brad and Jen McOwen. We, they are a church plant from Gospel Community Church down in Indianapolis.
1: So if you can, turn your attention to the screen as Brad brings a little update. Hey, everybody at Gospel Community. It's so good to kind of see you guys again. And we have some familiar faces for you guys. Hey, Jeremy and Bethany finally <laughs> made it down. Hey, guys, why don't you go ahead and give them an update on what's new with you? Um, well, we moved into our neighborhood, um, kind of got our house more set up, and we've gotten to meet a lot of uh, really cool neighbors. Mm-hmm. And uh, You
0: started working at Honda?
1: Yes, I did. I started mm-hmm. working at Honda. Um,
0: and we've, we've just been through conversations and things that have happened feeling very opposed. Like, I think everything in our house but the electrical has broken, um, but God has provided um, people or solutions that only he can provide so we know
1: we're here for a purpose that's very true Mm -hmm. yeah and things are going awesome with the core team so we've had two people put their faith in christ since we have been down here now we have a core team that is taking on evangelism and we've been out in our community doing some door-to-door evangelism and people just evangelizing their social circles and jen why don't you talk a little bit about uh, what we did last saturday
0: so on Saturday, we uh, we walked around some of the neighborhoods in Irvington, which is where we want to plant the church, and so we broke up into a few teams, and uh, we just started just praying over the houses and over the community and hopefully talking to some people. So some of our teams didn't meet with anyone, and then other teams got to have some really meaningful conversations, um, including with even some believers who are just really disconnected from community right now, and they're searching, so hopefully they'll be joining us soon, too.
1: Yeah, and then... You can be praying for us. We have our first ever community vision night coming up on August 21st. We are going to hang 5,000 door hangers to invite our neighbors and our friends and our community to come see what we think God wants to do here on the east side of Indy. We're super stoked. Be praying for that. Be praying that God would break up the fallow ground of Irvington and the east side of Indianapolis. Be praying that through this vision night. Our uh, hearts are broken for sin. That the gospel goes forward. Pray that we even see some salvations out of this vision night, and pray that our core team expands so that we can keep the march forward in this uh, church plant. Well, we miss you guys. Uh, so glad yeah. to be able to update you again, yeah. and we hope to be up and see you guys again soon. So till then, take care. We'll see you guys. Bye.
0: Good to hear from Brad and Jen and the Leck Lightners. So continue to be praying for them. Their church. Name is Mercy Hill Chapel. So, uh, if you are newer here, uh, one of our core values is strategic church planning. And as Mark said, we sent them out earlier this year to plant a church in the inner city of Indianapolis. So, be praying for Mercy Hill Chapel that God would bring a group of believers together. And ultimately, we want to see people come to Christ through there. Ministry. Uh, one more announcement that we want you to be aware of. Uh, next week we are back to two services. It's been awesome being together in one, but as you can see, there's not a whole lot of room. Uh, so we are doing two services next week. Uh, 830 and 1015 will be the times. Uh, just as a reminder, there will be no child care during 830. Uh, it will all be during the ten. 15 service, and we would love for some of you to be willing to commit to come to the 8:30. I know that's a little bit earlier, but if you think of it one way, uh, we are you're done by uh, 9:45. You got the whole day in front of you, and so we're going to send an email out just asking some of you to commit to coming at least the majority of time to the 8:30 service. Uh, How many of you want to see people come to Jesus Christ? Amen. Uh, How many? If if that's going to happen, we need to make room for them. And so that's the reason why we're going back to two services. And so we would love for you to consider 8.30 and 10.15. Is that me, Ben? If so, if I need to go. Uh, the ha- Okay. lot of still raining. Amen. <laughs> weeks since I've been back. Uh, Two weeks ago, we uh, sent our nephew to marriage, so we attended his uh, wedding in Detroit. Last week, I had the privilege of preaching at Gospel City, our sending church, but man, I am am glad to be back. Uh, How many of you have loved, though, our summer in the Psalms? Been good for your souls? Well, I think I'm leaning heavily towards going back to that again next year. I mean, there's 150 psalms, so we could, there's plenty to choose from. But that was just such a fruitful time for me to to be in it, and I trust it was for you. And so I just want to lay out for you what the next few weeks, uh, next, actually the rest of the year will look like from a preaching standpoint. Uh, we're back in Acts today. It's been a while. If, if, if you've been with us for a while, you know we started this in in. April of 2021. And so we're going to do that the next few weeks. We're going to take a few weeks in September to to do a little series as we jump into the new ministry year. And then we'll finish out Acts after that leading up to Christmas. And so let me invite you now to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. I'm going to ditch the mic. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Do you realize that we are participating in that even today? And it was because of the faithful proclamation of the gospel by the disciples that we sit here this morning opening up God's word and reading it. Is because they carried the gospel. They were witnesses of Jesus Christ to the end of the earth. We're a far ways away from Jerusalem. And we get to partake in the advancement of the gospel. Do you realize, believer in Jesus Christ, that you were placed here in your community, in your neighborhoods, in your job, in your family for the sake of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? There's no greater mission that you have in your life than to proclaim Jesus Christ to the lost. That is what we are here for, to be witnesses where God has placed us. And as I mentioned, throughout Acts, we have seen the disciples risk their lives and even give up their lives for the sake of advancing the gospel. My prayer for us this morning is that we would be challenged by the faith of the disciples and that we would understand that we are called to carry it out. Our main calling is not to be parents if you're parents. Our main calling is not to obey our parents if we're children. Our main calling is not to provide for our families financially. Our main calling is to glorify the name of Jesus Christ, to proclaim him. That is what every believer is called to do. That is our mission, and my prayer is that we would be spurred on by the acts of the disciples, that we would be willing to give up our lives. But here's the reality, and here's what we're going to talk about this morning. With gospel proclamation comes gospel op- opposition. Gospel opposition will always be with us. We, I, it's perfect. I, I love how the Lord does things. I had not yet seen the video. Zach had seen it. And to hear them even say, like, the Lechleitners talking about the opposition in their house, it's just like, that's what happens. I mean, we, we risk our lives for the sake of the gospel. The Lechleitners left their house here, sold it to be a part of this church plant. And, of course, they're going to face opposition because that's what happens when we live for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's amazing that we see that. So this morning, let's jump into our text. Uh, I'm going to start reading Acts 19, verse 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand, wanting to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis? ...and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further... It shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he, dimiss, he dismissed the assembly. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and we, we thank you for the reminder of the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf that has made us right with you, Lord. I pray that you would f- overflow our hearts with joy in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded this morning and not surprised that opposition will always be with us. We can't escape it, Lord. But Father, I thank you that even though opposition is with us, Lord, that, that, there, that you are overseeing it that you are sovereign in it. And so I pray that we would not be surprised when life gets hard when we decide that we're gonna live for you. Lord, that rather we would be prepared and understand that we have an enemy that we invite into our lives when we declare Jesus as Lord and Savior. So God, would you give us courage this morning? Would you give us faith to press on this journey, Lord, that is hard? But God, we thank you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in us the world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we see here is Paul is visiting some other churches, and and while that is happening, he sends two of his disciples to Macedonia. And as we have seen throughout Acts, there is a big disturbance, surprise, surprise, that takes place within the church. And so our first takeaway from the morning, for this morning, is this. With gospel Advancement comes gospel opposition. With gospel advancement comes gospel opposition. Look again at verse 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. In other words, what it's saying is there there arose a big disturbance. That always happens when the gospel is advancing. There is always opposition. We should not be surprised. Since the beginning of time... There has and there will always be opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is one of the universal facts of being a Christian. If you've been saved long enough, you've faced this opposition of which we see here in the text. You want to follow and live for Jesus? Expect to face resistance. It is something that has been promised to us from the Bible. Yet it is also one of the things that I I see believers neglect. Like, we forget the fact that when we come to Jesus, we are inviting an enemy into our lives. For so many of us, our natural instinct, when it comes to saying that God is good, we, we have this skewed view in our minds. Think about it. When you say, God is so good, what are you usually responding to? Is it not like, Hey, I've been praying for this job opportunity, and I went in for the interview and nailed it, and they offered me the job on the spot. What do we say? God is good. When there's an issue with the pregnancy, but all of a sudden things turn out well, and the baby comes, and the mom's healthy, and the baby's healthy, what do we say? God is good. When the family goes on vacation, and the kids don't fight, what do we say? God is a miracle worker, (laughs) And all those things are true, are they not? God is good when those things happen. But is not God also good when things fall apart? Is God not also good when we get the news that we don't want to hear of a loved one who has passed away? You see, sometimes we expect that when we come to Jesus Christ that we're going to have health. We're going to be wealthy. We're going to be prosperous. But nowhere in Scripture do we see that. And we don't see that any, hardly anywhere here in Acts. All throughout the books, book of Acts, all we have seen is opposition. When the gospel is advancing forward, when people are coming to Jesus Christ, opposition is close to follow behind. We need to be mindful of this. When we choose to follow Christ, we must understand when God rescues us, we've just invited an enemy into our lives. Do you think Satan cares about those who are just throwing their lives away? Do you think Satan cares about the believer, or at least the professing believer who's lazy, who's not in the word, who's not really living their life for Jesus Christ? Do you think Satan really cares about that person? That person is already already doing what he wants them to do in the first place. I've seen this happen multiple times. If I've gone through a season of not being in the word and I make a decision I'm gonna get in the word, I'm going to do it tomorrow morning at whatever time. Every single time that happens just about, it's when the kids are up all night long or when there's a storm and or name it, like something happens to where I'm up all night, I, I, I keep waking up from loud noises that happen, things randomly fall in the house. I mean, these are the things that happen when we choose to give our lives for Jesus Christ. And I think... The the most important thing that we need to understand this morning is that we should not be surprised by it. We should be ready for it. Just consider our society. Do you see that our society continually pushes against the truth of Scripture? Things like marriage between a biological male and a biological female challenging that, saying it's okay to live a homosexual lifestyle that goes against what God proclaims. Or it's okay to live and sleep together before you are married because you just want to see if you're compatible. Or you can, you can be a biological male and say that really you're a female, and that's great. You can even be a biological male and swim or run on the women's team, and that's just that's okay, that's fine. That's where our world has gone to. We shouldn't be surprised when the word of God is opposed in the society. That's the one thing that puzzles me with Christians. Why are we shocked at what we see? It is shocking. I'm not saying it's not shocking. But why? Why are we shocked? Society, we, we, can we just get over the fact that we don't live in a Christian nation? There may be some Christian principles that maybe were around, but we no longer, if, even if it was the case, can we just acknowledge the fact that today we do not live in a in a God-honoring nation. So don't be surprised when you face opposition, when you proclaim the truth of God's word. It's gonna come our way. We shouldn't be surprised when we face persecution. The disciples weren't surprised by these trials. They were facing persecution. They saw their brothers and sisters murdered for the glory of God. And yet they kept, they kept pressing on because they weren't surprised. They understood. They knew it was going to come. Even Paul, after he faced such opposition, what I find great hope in is he the spirit of life. Turn with me real quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Keep your finger here, but turn with me real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul understood when life didn't go well. And can we just acknowledge that Paul's life was not a... a A joyous thing as far as the world is concerned. (laughs) Being beaten over and over again. Shipwrecked, bitten by snakes. He did not have an easy life and yet he understood the reason for it all. And I find great encouragement that even Paul struggled with the circumstances of, of his life. But yet we read this in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Brothers and sisters, if you've ever lifted Paul up and and thought that he was just a man who had no struggles, find great courage to to know that he was just like us. He despaired of life. Do you find that staggering? If you've never read this, is, is this not staggering that the Apostle Paul despaired of life? Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but here's the reason for it. If you find yourself struggling like this this morning, here's the reason for it. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, one reason why God allows opposition is because we need to be reminded regularly that we don't rely on ourselves. We can't rely on ourselves. We will let ourselves down because our flesh dwells within us and is raging against the things of God. We need to be reminded that we can't rely on ourselves but on God. And by the way, this is the God who raises the dead. All-powerful God. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 4. This is another reminder. 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, my apology. 1 Peter chapter 4, this is another reminder that opposition is going to come. When we want to live for Jesus Christ, we should expect opposition to come our way. 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it co- comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Let me just acknowledge that for a moment. You know, sometimes we want to say, I'm just suffering for Jesus. But what he's saying here is, like, don't suffer because you're an idiot. (laughs) That's, uh, that's the Ben Hurt uh, version there. Like, don't suffer because you're living like a fool. Some of the times that we suffer, it's not because we're living for Jesus. It's actually because we're not living for him, and that's why we're suffering. Why am I going through this? Because you're doing what you're doing. That's why. Yet if anyone, verse 16, suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, with gospel advancement comes gospel opposition. That's why this no little disruption happened. It's because the gospel was moving forward. Look at verse 24. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, Brought no little business to the craftsmen. Interesting language here. Again, that's just lots of business was brought to the craftsmen because of the shrines of Artemis that they were making. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Man, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has, be, has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that God's made with hands are not God's. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and all the world worship. Here's the next point. Not sure what happened there. The next point is this: Let me help you write it down. Um, gospel opposition comes when gods are threatened. Gospel opposition comes when gods are threatened. So let me help you understand that because we don't we don't live in a in a world necessarily where there's little gods that we make, but yet we make gods all the time because our hearts, as Calvin John Calvin said, I believe, our hearts are idle factories. We are always making idols. So here you have this guy, Demetrius, who arrives on the scene. And he's a silversmith who's making a great deal of money because of the shrines that he's making for the worship of Artemis. Uh, For those of you who don't know who Artemis is, I didn't really know fully who she was until this. But Artemis was the, the goddess of nature. According to the New American Commentary, her image consisted of a veiled head with animals and birds decorating her head and lower body with numerous breasts from her waist to her neck. The animals and breasts were symbolic of her status as the Asian mother goddess who was believed to protect and preserve the fecundity, that's a new word for me, of all living things. That just means fertility. It's like she's, she makes the world fertile. That's who this goddess was and, and here in Ephesians, she, in Ephesus, she was worship. I mean, this was the main source of worship. This was the main religion was the worship of Artemis. And notice in verse twenty four that the shrines brought no little business. Do you really think that the issue here was he was concerned about the worship of Artemis, or is this more about their bank accounts? Demetrius goes on to point out that Paul is persuading people to ditch Artemis and belittle the gods made with hands. Look again at verse 27. There's danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. He knows the game. He's thinking, hey, this is affecting us financially, but just in case that's not enough to spur you on and stir you up, hey, man, what if the worship of Artemis is done with? Like, this is the epicenter for the worship of this goddess. Like, we can't let this get away. Like, he knows how to play the people. And here's what happens. When we start going after people's gods, that's when the claws come out. You see, with Demetrius and his craftsmen, His God was not Artemis. His God was money. His God was wealth. And because wealth was threatened, they were going to take action. You ever notice, like, even in the book of Acts, do you see the disciples caring much about money? No, actually what you see is them being willing to give it away. Because they understood who their God was. But amongst the world, what you see is like, don't mess with my wealth. And brothers and sisters, let's be honest. We can be just as tempted to make God a money for us. We can make God a money, in, uh, money a God in different ways. For some of us, it's like, I'm going to make as much as I can. But for other of us, sometimes we pride ourselves in not having anything. And so we actually neglect what we should be doing and providing for our families and say this is for the glory of God, and we can be so twisted that way. But here's the reality. We all make gods out of different things. We can make gods out of food. That, that's one thing that, honestly, I'm struggling with. As I reflected this week, here, here is, here's the statement. This is not on the board. Here's something that you could write down. Your God is revealed in what you are unwilling to give up. Your God is revealed in what you are unwilling to give up. For instance, you're in a great job. You're providing well for your family. Things are prosperous for you. But your company starts to change the way they do things, and all of a sudden they're doing dishonest business, and you have a decision to make. Do I love the money and the job more than I do about honoring the Lord in my work? Because if I say no to these things that they're saying that are dishonest, I could lose my job. And if we choose to disregard the word of God and keep our jobs, what we are saying is that God, our God is our money, not the God of the Bible. Same is true for food, where I love sugar. Any sugar lovers out there? It's like my, that's my kryptonite. And, it does something to my body, right? It's not good for us to have an absorbent amount of sugar. And if we are unwilling to say no to that, those times where I was like, I can't can't help but take it, what's that revealing to me is that sugar is my God. We have to be mindful of it. So let me ask you this question. What is it in your life that you are unwilling to give up? And when somebody comes and challenges you With that. And every time Nikki challenges me with what I'm eating, the claws come out. Why? Because often food is a God for me. Your God is revealed in what you are unwilling to give up. For Demetrius and the other craftsmen, their God was their bank account. And the gospel was threatening that. Here's the thing. I don't think that they were speaking necessarily against Artemis. They very well may have been. I mean, we look further on, and it says, like, they haven't, they haven't been sacrilegious. I think they were so focused on Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They were focused on what they were for, not what they are against. That's another thing that Christians like to make gods out of. We like to make uh, Roe v. Wade a God issue. Roe v. Wade is not a God issue. Now, God is an issue if we are choosing to abort our babies. But the gospel is not abortion or pro life. We should be pro life. But we could be so against things that we forget who we're for. And people only know us for what we're against. And the claws come out when we start talking about these different things. Oh, don't be talking about gun control in the church. It's my right. Not, this is not an argument about that. It's just a matter of where does your heart go when these things come up? Because if we can't have civil conversations about them, that's a revelation of who our God is. When God is, of the Bible is our God, we respond differently, don't we? When people threaten us, when people come after us, instead of responding with our claws out, we respond with brokenness. Do you realize that even the Lord Jesus responded to sinners with brokenness, to the to the Pharisees who were preaching something that wasn't true. Yes, Jesus went after them, but he was concerned about their hearts. Uh, feel free to just write the reference down. You don't need to turn here. But let me read for you Matthew 23 as we see Jesus respond in Matthew 23, verse 37, to the Pharisees. He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! So he, he's, not like, he's not like just, I'm going to be loving and I'm not going to speak the truth. He's still calling them out for their sin. For you are like wash, whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear to, righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the momentum, the monuments of the righteous. So here, 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 these are all speaking of him calling the Pharisees out. He's not excusing their sin. But look at verse 37 then, what he says to them. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing Do you see the difference between how the world responds to things that are in animosity to it versus the way Jesus responds? Oh, may the Lord break us. When we face opposition against the word of God that we don't respond in anger, but rather we respond in brokenness. We respond, Lord, break them. Help them to see. Here's the thing. Jesus can flip tables in the temple. Because he's Jesus. In in, in a real sense, we are the ones that got the tables flipped on us. We are the ones that were sinners. We were the ones that were on the other side. And yet Jesus, in his grace and in his mercy, took on our sin and paid the price so that we would be made right. So we are far more like the idol worshipers than we are not. We are far more like them than we are like Jesus, and so may we be broken and understand that this is a worship issue. And the gospel is offensive. I mean, think about it. What does the gospel say? What's the first part of the gospel? It, first of all, it acknowledges that there is a holy God. How how do we like it? How do how do We generally like having authority over us. (laughs) Is that something we really care for? What is, I've said this a million times, I'm gonna say it again and probably a million more times. What's one of the first words your kids learn? No. (laughs) Why? Because we are born with this desire to be right. We are born with this desire to be God. And the gospel is offensive Because it first starts with the reality that there's a holy God, and the second part is we are sinful and therefore separated. We do not match, we do not come, we cannot even enter his presence because of our unholiness apart from somebody intervening. And that person was Jesus Christ. But I think we can all relate with the understanding that gospel opposition comes when our gods, when what we want to say is right, is threatened. Our last point is this. God will keep you until your work for him is complete. God will keep you until your work for him is complete. So as we see here in the second half of Acts 19, let me just take a take note of the scene as we've read already. There, there's a God uh, has been threat that's been threatened, Artemis, and, and this has led to Christians being dragged into the local theater. Paul is not amongst them, and, and he's desiring to be with them, but they are holding him back because Demetrius named, called out Paul. He said, Paul's the reason for this. Paul is threatening our business. He's threatening our bank accounts, and so he is wanting to go back and make an appearance in the theater, and they're saying, no, can you imagine what might have happened with the crowd if they had let Paul come back. And so they keep him from joining in. And notice, though, that that chaos is breaking out. Look at verse 29. The city was filled with with confusion, and they rushed together in the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions. There's confusion. Verse 32, now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know what they had come together for. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Like they're gathering, there's this riot that's about to break loose, and they have no idea why. You ever see that in the news? Where people get fired up and they have no idea what they're getting fired up over, but the media is not our best friend, is it? Likes to get us thinking one thing and likes to twist it. You watch Fox News; it says one thing. You watch CNN; it says the exact other thing, trying to get people stirred up. It's real easy to get stirred up because because we are so so quick to go with those who we call our side, our people. I, I'm wrestling a lot with this. Like, how how often do I just give in to what my side says versus like asking questions to get to really understand the facts? There's no questions being asked there. They're like, oh, there's a riot. Oh, Artemis is being threatened. Let's go. I think they're proclaiming Jesus Christ, and they received it as a threat. I don't think they were speaking against Artemis as much as they were proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And and there's all this confusion. It's sort of like the game. You ever play telephone where you have, like, a line of people, and on one end you whisper into the first person's ear this phrase, and then they whisper to the next person and so on and so forth. And it gets to the last person. And by the last person, it's, it's not, it looks nothing like what the first person said. I mean, who knows the, the rumors that are flying here. But this is just like the world today. Proverbs 18, 17 says this, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him must be careful of what we get fired up about that we have the right facts. So, in the text here, eventually a town clerk gets involved and finally things calm down. Things have relaxed. People are dismissed. I mean, here's what I take away from that. This could have led to the stoning of one of these disciples. If Paul would have went there, who knows what would have happened. But here's the reality. God wasn't done with those disciples yet. It wasn't their time. See, the rioters, Demetrius, they had no say in what was going to take place. God was sovereign over this situation, and, and we can find great hope trusting That in our work for Jesus Christ, God will keep us until our work for him is complete. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is all-powerful? Do you believe that he knows your situation, that if you speak boldly for the things of the Lord, you speak the truth in love, that he is going to sustain you until it's your time? And then are you going to trust that if God takes someone that you love before you think their time is up, that that God is sovereign and in control here. Here's here's why we get so, I mean, I don't want to belittle death. Death is such a hard, emotional thing. I don't want to make light of it. But I do want to continually remind us as a church that death is not the end. For those of us who have repented of our sin and placed our faith in Jesus Christ, Our eternity lies with our Savior, where there will be no more tears, no more sorrows. So that's why we can, that's why missionaries go into mission fields that are dangerous because their hope doesn't lie in this world. That's why we can go across to our neighbors and build relationships and share the gospel with the understanding that we might be rejected and we might even face torment. But it all goes back to our first point, the reminder that with gospel advancement comes gospel opposition. I need to be reminded of this because I want my neighborhood to be a safe place. We just moved in December there. I I want it to be something that my neighbors are okay with us being around. But I'm also aware of stories of what could happen once neighbors know of believers Around them. We, have, we faced this. Uh, in a previous house that we lived in, our neighbors found out that I was a pastor. And you could just, you could just, she literally backed up. But that's okay, because I'm going to love her no matter what. I'm not going to rub my hands and be done with her. We shouldn't be surprised, believers. And we should find great hope trusting that God has numbered our days. That he's the one that is sovereign over our lives and we can rest in in him. This mob here in Acts 19 wasn't going to ultimately decide the fate of these believers. They were firmly fixed in the hands of the almighty God. So let me ask you, are you living your life for the sake of the gospel? Do you understand that You are located firmly in the hands of the Lord. Are you living your life without allowing fear to keep you from living for the glory of Christ? You will have fear. The key is not allowing that fear to keep us from the work that God has called us to do. The reality for us this morning is that when we decide to live for the glory of the gospel, we will face opposition. Don't be surprised when you start making decisions and putting Jesus at the center that you're going to face resistance, that things are suddenly going to be hard that maybe weren't hard before because you have a new enemy. Understand that opposition comes when gods are threatened. Why are people chasing away from God? It's because they have the worship disorder. Everybody's a worshiper. But if we are worshiping the things of this world, we're going to face opposition from the things of God. We're going to find God. We're going to be opposed to him. And ultimately remember that God will keep you until your work for him is complete. So live your life free from fear for the sake of the gospel. We serve a God who is powerful and sovereign and he's in control of your life. Take heart, believers. Opposition will come. But God is watching over you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for all that you've done for us and for your grace, Lord. We need you. We need you in this, Father. I just confess that sometimes I feel like the biggest coward. And Lord, sometimes I just want a trial-free, easy life, Lord. Sometimes I don't want to have to deal with the opposition from neighbors because what if it means we have this neighbor who's against us? But Lord, let our hearts be broken as Jesus was even for the Pharisees who were flat out preaching against him. God, we desperately need you. God, I thank you that you have us firmly fixed in your grasp. For those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in you, we have a firm foundation. So God, may we be bold for the gospel this week. May we be praying for opportunities and willing to take those opportunities even if it might mean we are rejected. Because ultimately, Lord, you were rejected by men. You were despised. And so, Father, we can rejoice in our sufferings because we are suffering as you suffered. God, be with us as we go. We desperately need you. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me leave you with a couple, a few action steps so you can go a little bit further this week if you would like to. First thing you could do is memorize Psalm 27, verse 1. I love this verse. Let me read it for you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We have such a firm, loving God that's with us here. I also encourage you just to spend some more time reading through Psalm 27. It speaks of enemies and in just reminding ourselves. I mean, that, that, that first verse lays the foundation. Hey, enemies are going to come. Evildoers are going to come after us. But i got to remember that. The Lord is my light and my salvation and my stronghold. So I encourage you to spend some time that week. And then we've had this before, but I just encourage you, read a missionary biography. Find one who, you're, what you're going to find is that not like, it's you, what you're not going to find is like the missionaries went to their country and people came to the gospel and it was, they lived happily ever after. Like that just does that story, I've not heard it yet. There's so much opposition, so many trials that they face, people who are, who are sick the whole time, people who had such a short ministry but yet were reading biographies of the short ministry because of their, their belief and their hope that didn't live here in this world but lived in the world to come. And they were willing to risk their lives. And so just read and be amazed and then ask God to move in you that we're just willing to cross the street. Sometimes that, Sometimes we'd rather go across the world than we would across the street. May God grow boldness in us. And then the last thing, live for Christ. Let everything you do be for the glory of Jesus, and then expect opposition. Let me invite you to stand as I pray us out uh, this morning. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the reminder, even in Psalm 27 there, that the Lord is our light and our salvation, Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of of our lives. Of whom shall we be afraid? Lord, I pray that you would remind us that we are the salt and the light. Lord, we are the church that represents you. We are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Lord, may this be true of us. Thank you for your grace, for your mercy that goes with us out these doors into the mission field. May we be bold for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.